Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. Hello and welcome to the dubious book of famous deeds. The history podcast that looks at the world as the Victorians did by way of a book from 1889 that I found in an alley, the pictorial treasury of famous men and famous deeds. Each episode, I read a chapter to a guest, and together we correct its mistakes, put it in context, learn, laugh, and love along the way. I'm Paul Bates, your host, not a historian, not a scholar, and this is our season finale. These episodes take a lot of time to research and put together, so I'm going to take some time off to record another dozen chapters. Can't say for sure when I'll be back, probably the new year at the latest, but I'm going to start studying right away, so time will tell. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed uh, the episodes, give it a, a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help audiences discover it. And if you want, you can throw some support my way over at buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. Financial support isn't obligatory, but if you'd like to support my work, that's an easy way to do it. And it is greatly appreciated. Okay. Today we are talking about Edward Baines, the British newsman and politician, a man presumably famous enough to get into this book, but today, someone whose memory is lost to the indifferent ravages of time. And joining me for this chapter, an old friend and one of the funniest people I've ever known. She is an alumna of the Second City, an actor, a writer, and she has her own podcast, Lisa and Shoshana HQ, which is a very funny and thoughtful podcast about self-improvement. Please, welcome to Chapter 12, Lisa Brooke. All right, Lisa, we reached Chapter 12 in this book. I don't know. I guess we should just jump right in. Yeah, let's get right in there. There's nothing I like more to start my day than hearing about famous men and the great things they did. It's just nice to have a morning reminder. Yeah. Good morning, patriarchy. You're just where I left you. Here we go. Edward Baines of Leeds. Okay. Edward Baines of Leeds. Doesn't ring a bell. Go ahead. Edward Baines was descended from a class of society which, though somewhat undefined, has both an historic and poetic interest. The bold yeoman of England. Hmm. He sort of came out of nowhere, then. This guy is like a shot out of the dark. That's right. He's right. different from a lot of the people in this book in that he is not born into nobility. Okay. Are you familiar with that class, the yeoman? 
I'm not. I'm not familiar with the yeomen. What can you tell me about them? Not much, except that they're an intermediate class between the laborer and the gentry. They're usually landholders, like small farmers and shopkeepers. Okay, so here's the social ranking in England at the time, all right? Starting at the top. Royalty. Royalty. Nobility. Uh Uh-huh. The baronet. Remember, baronet? Um, yeah, you remember Baronet von Sketch Show, classic. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. They spelled Victorian. their names wrong. I remember. <laughs> the knights, the knighthood after that. Then the business class. Then the gentry, all the gentlemen. Then the clergy. Then the yeomen. Then the husbandsmen and the cottagers. Wait, husbandsmen and cottagers? Yeah, those would be the serfs, but I guess even the serfs are broken into two categories. I just think it would be really nice to have a cottage and not have to have anybody in it. Like, I, I personally think the cottagers had it best, yeah, especially totally. if they didn't have husbands. Okay, let's keep okay. going. So he was okay. born into the bold yeoman of England. His father, however, had forsaken the farm for the shop and the loom. And Edward was born on the 5th of February. Sorry. So many R's in that word was born on the 5th of February, 1774, at a village in the beautiful Valley of the Ribble, about a mile from Preston. This sounds like a really nice, nice place to grow up. It really Um, does, yeah. It's in the Lakes District, which is a national park now in England. I've never really spent any time in England outside of London. I was only in London for like a week, and I've never really seen what the English countryside looks like. Well, it's a little bit of a humble brag, Bates, that you've been spending all this time in England. You know, I was I was pretty busy in the city, mm-hmm. uh, yes. so I didn't make it out into the... Uh, oh, the... meetings, meetings, meetings. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know London, England is what they're talking about, right? Oh, we should start over. Yeah, keep going. Okay. He was a healthy and sprightly lad, full of mirth and mischief. The poet Wordsworth was his schoolfellow at the free grammar school of Hawkshead, a small town amongst the lakes, a neighborhood amidst the solitude of which the eagle still dwelt. I I just want to say about Wordsworth, what a bang on name, hey? Like, was that his actual name or was that a nickname he picked up because he was such a bookie nerd? Hey, Wordsworth. Yeah, and then he took that name and empowered it by becoming a badass poet. Yeah, damn it. Mm -hmm. That's manifesting your destiny. Oh, man. I don't want to give anything away, but there's a section that I'm going to get to. It includes, hands down, the best name I've ever read. Oh, God, okay. That's just a little prep for you, okay? You'll know it when you hear it. Okay. Whether the scenery of the Lake District produced any impression on the youthful heart of the future man of business, as on that of the future poet, we are not informed. But a family tradition has preserved an oracle uttered by his master that he would either be a great man or be hanged. Wow! Like, underneath my picture in my yearbook, it said... You go out there a youngster, but you'll come back a star. I picked that from 42nd Street. That was a tough one for him. Either you'll succeed or you'll be hanged. And one of the adventures of his after boyhood seems to justify the prophecy. The master of the Preston Free Grammar School was a pompous, ill-educated man. 
this book is great because it doesn't really give you any idea of why this person is famous or what he ever did until about halfway through the chapter. I'm really trying to feel it out here. Like he's sort <laughs> of a jerk to his teachers. Mm-hmm. He has Wordsworth as a classmate. Mm-hmm. Lives in a nice place in England. We're not there yet. We, we know okay. he's a, a future man of business. That's all we know yeah. so far. But we also know now that his master at the Preston Free Grammar School was a pompous, ill-educated man who smote his pupils liberally with cane and tongue. So it was at this point, reading about the schoolmaster being a pompous, ill-educated man, that I was just like, how could they know this? Why are they including this? And that's when I realized that most of this, if not all of it, is based on the biography written about Edward Baines by Edward Baines Jr. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, right. Okay. The son has some anger about his father's teacher. Yes. Okay, got it. Yeah. Now, back to the schoolmaster who was pompous and smote his pupils. I remember the, uh, in 73, the old anti-smote law came down in schools. You can't smote anymore. But there was a smoting section in the back where all the rockers hung out. Oh, they hung out there with their raccoon tails hanging off their white purses. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In one of those juvenile rebellions, well known of old as a, quote, barring out, the doors of the school were fastened with huge nails. This is Edward Baines uh, rebelling as a child. The doors of the school were fastened with huge nails, and one of the younger lads was led out to obtain supplies of food for the garrison. I looked this up. Barring out used to happen as a prank in schools where kids would lock the schoolmaster out and just occupy the school. Really? Yeah. I love that there's only one teacher to lock out, too. There's just like just the one person watching everybody. Get him outside. Free day. (laughs) Yeah. The rebellion having lasted two or three days. uh, What? Yeah. Two or three days. The mayor, town clerk, and officers were sent to intimidate the offenders. Young Baines on the part of the besieged answered the magisterial summons to surrender by declaring that they would never give in unless assured of full pardon and a certain length of holidays. With much good sense, the mayor gave them till the evening to consider, and on his second visit, the doors were found open, the garrison having fled to the woods of Penwortham. They regained their respective homes under the cover of night, and through some interposition, they escaped the punishment they had deserved. So... They opened their doors at night and everybody ran out, went home, yeah. went back to their cottage or whatever. Uh-huh. And then they just stayed there and just hunkered down. Uh-huh. And then they didn't get punished at all. No. What happened? How did they avoid the punishment? Because <laughs> I, I mean, that defies logic. It does defy logic. And I, and I was about to try to maybe explain it away, but then I remembered This is based on the biography by his son. His son, right. And also, this is when I realized, upon finding a copy of the biography by Edward Baines Jr. on the internet, this chapter fully plagiarizes. Uh, (gasps) uh, (laughs) Is it just lifted right out of his son's book? Everything I just read you is pulled directly from the book about his dad. Wow. This is a big book with lots of chapters. And if you've been assigned like, okay, you got to come up with a hundred stories. Sooner or later, you're copying and pasting. Yeah, you're copying and pasting for sure. But 
how did he copy and paste? Like he's still, <laughs> yeah, he's there's... still having to copy that out. Yes. You know, yeah. there's no lift the whole thing. Like I mean, at some I... point, doesn't it wear on you? Like, holy shit, I'm copying this whole thing from somebody else and I'm not going to give them credit. I want to condemn, but as a student, I've been there. I mm -hmm, yeah. remember writing an essay on supernovas because there yeah. had been a big article in the Toronto Star about a supernova that was observed. And I was like, I'll just rephrase this in my own words. But my own words ended up just being changing but to however, or, you know, <laughs> it just seems these are my words. I'm just going to copy these out. Like I had copied the whole article. Oh, Bates. And look at you. There's been zero <laughs> ramifications. No. It's just like... I'm like those boys who occupied their school. I snuck yeah. back away and then the next day, nothing happened to me. Nothing happened at all to you. My God. This is my History privilege. History just keeps on repeating. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's hear some more pranks from the young Edward Baines. At this period of his life, the spirit of frolic and adventure was very strong in Edward Baines. Stories are told of the mayor's halberds being abstracted and thrown into the reservoir of the waterworks. Stories are told by my dad when he's drunk about the amazing things that he did. Uh, the mayor's halberds. I, I think those would be like the, the ceremonial weapons that, you know, might be over the mayor's office. And here's a good prank. The youth passed one night in prison for frightening a lady by firing a pistol over her head. What a good joke. Yeah, don't do that. That's just a jerk. That's like she probably lost some of her hearing. Yeah. If she was a mom, for sure she wet her pants because I have no control over that when I'm scared. So that's embarrassing. Right. I mean, luckily, they wore those big gowns, but still. Edward Baines chose the business of a printer. Here we go. We're getting closer. Okay. okay. And became a diligent and expert workman. In this occupation and in the debating society, he and his friends spent their leisure. Sounds like a fun group. His intellectual character was rapidly developed. In him, as in many others, the child was father to the man. What a phrase. Yeah. In him, as in many others, the child was father to the man. I mean, it's so flowery, but I, what is he saying? Like, like he's, is that acorn theory right there? Like, I think that's what we're talking about. I think it means the essence of the child became the man, was present yeah. in the man. Which, Canadian singer, was it, who sang, Boy, I'm sad, man. Who was that? Tom Cochran? Was it Tom Cochran? The boy the inside the man. The boy inside the man. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? Just Google the boy inside the man. Boy inside the man, song by Red Rider and Tom Cochran. You Tom right. Cochran, Brooke, got it because she knows stupid facts about Canadian music. All right. So the boy, the child was the boy inside the man was father mm -hmm. to himself. And already the desire for improvement in all matters, personal and public, which characterized him through life was strong. Two years before the termination of his apprenticeship. We don't hear about his apprenticeship, but he apprenticed as a printer for five years. Uh -huh. uh, yes. If you want to work back then as a printer, you have to do a seven year apprenticeship. Okay. 
two years before the termination of his apprenticeship, Edward Baines, with the consent of his master, left his native town in search of greater scope for improvement and advancement. In 1795, the frugal apprentice, stout of heart and limb, traveled on foot from Preston to Leeds with his bundle on his arm. From Clitheroe, he crossed the hills into Yorkshire alone with no companion but his staff and all his worldly wealth in his pocket. So, as legend goes... He came to Leeds with nothing, and that's part of his legend because he would eventually become one of the biggest heads of the community there. Okay, but let me just say that of what you've told me, we know, right? You don't leave a job unless you got another job. Right. He was five years in. Right. He fired shots over somebody's head. He mm-hmm. stole things from the mayor. My thinking is that they asked him to leave. This is a great instinct, Lisa, and I have some research on this. Okay. I was very lucky in finding another biographical piece on Edward Baines to add some context to this. Because Edward Baines Jr.'s biography, part of the aim of producing that was to produce an exemplar of moral rectitude for future generations. So there's no way he's including any bad stories about his dad in this book. And it also sounds like he's smoothing some of the details in a very romantic way. Absolutely. So there are some competing explanations as to why he would quit his apprenticeship, because there really isn't a good reason. If you're leaving, like you said, with nothing but the clothes on your back, why are you quitting your apprenticeship when you know that you're not going to get work anywhere else because you haven't finished your seven years apprenticeship? One reason is that the paper at which he was apprenticing went under Um, There's evidence that it went under around that time, but there's not concrete evidence as of when. Another is that he was fired by his mentor or master because their political views clashed, and they probably did. Mm -hmm. And the third theory is that Baines fled Preston in a hurry because he fathered a child out of wedlock. Oh, and could that child be the person who wrote his biography? Oh, that would be good, but no. Baines was, later in life, very publicly accused of sexual promiscuity, specifically fathering a child and abandoning the family, by one Richard Ostler, the so-called factory king, with whom Baines clashed over factory reform laws in Leeds. Osler wrote this in the letters column of a newspaper. He promised marriage to a confiding fair one and betrayed her. He left her when he had seduced her, and she became chargeable on the parish where she lived, as did his babe. (gasps) Oh, snap. Yeah, things got personal in the editorial columns. It's like a flame war on Twitter. Remember, like, Drake went at somebody, and then that person went back and Drake and said, uh-uh, no, you fathered a kid. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically what happened. Like, Osler went nuclear on Baines. Like, who does that? <laughs> who calls somebody out and puts a child's future at risk? Come on. All right, so those are the competing reasons, but we don't we don't really know why. What's your feeling on it? Which one do you think it is? Or is it a combo? The fact that the paper went under, to me, feels like the most reasonable explanation. I think so. 
It's just like, oh, the paper went under. Well, I guess I can go to Leeds and try and finish my apprenticeship at another newspaper. Yeah. And, and you said that his mentor allowed him to leave, right? Because he knew couldn't hold him there. Perhaps the simplest answer is the most correct one in this case, Occam's Razor, but uh, we'll never know. Uh, Until you're finished building that time machine, Bates. Just <laughs> well, keep working. Just a few more pieces. Wayworn young Baines reached Leeds and finding the shop of Messieurs Bin and Brown, he inquired if they had room for an apprentice to finish his time. Messieurs Bin and Brown, the erstwhile owners and publishers of the Leeds Mercury newspaper. The stranger was carelessly referred to the foreman, and as he entered the Mercury office, he inwardly resolved, as only his son could know of him, that if he should gain admittance, there he would never leave it. In a few mm. years, comparatively, the office and newspaper became his own and so continued till his death. So there we go. This is the story of Edward Baines, the owner and publisher of the Leeds Mercury newspaper. So he was a newsman. And yeah. is the Leeds Mercury newspaper still in print? No, it is not. When did it cease printing, do you know? In the early 1900s. I want to say like 1929 or thereabouts. Wow, you've really done your research, Bates. Good for you. Hey, I thought I was going to trip you up with that one. Not today. Got to get up pretty early in the morning to trick Paul Bates on his leads. Leads. On leads. his leads on leads. <laughs> so he was a newspaper guy. On what a story. Mm -hmm. What a hero's tale told by his son. Okay, so Leeds, a very large city in North England. It's greater metropolitan, metropolitan? It's greater- I love that word. Thank metro you. Metropolitan. It's, it's greater metropolitan area is uh, a little under 2 million. Back then, a population of just 30,000 sitting picturesquely on the river air, and it was a predominantly wool town. Wool district. Yeah, it's the wool district. So he rose to the class of yeoman. Uh, I think he started as a yeoman. So then he was, where did he wind up? Remind me of his level that he got oh, to. Oh boy, that's a good question. I want to say he probably wound up in the business class. You know, one thing that, that I've kind of gleaned from this is that whether or not you were a gentleman was determined by whether or not you used your hands in your work. So right. Baines probably reached a point where he wasn't doing manual labor. Other people were doing it for him. So he probably right. became a gentleman by the end of his life. He finally had those hand modeled hands. He'd been trying to get all his life. Can you imagine that this story is just really about wood gravings of his delicate hands? <laughs> well, really, it sort of is. Do you know when his son was born? Who wrote this? Uh, like, did, it, at it, what point did he marry and have a family? And well, this book doesn't talk about this chapter. Of course, because that's not wife. that's not a great deed. Like getting married and maintaining a relationship. Fuck mm. that. That's mm. not a deed worth mentioning. Raising a family. He married a woman named Charlotte. He had four kids, and she took it from there. On that front, Edward Jr. was born uh -huh. in eighteen hundred. And sensing an everlasting disconnect with his father, he decided to canonize him mm -hmm. by writing a book about him. I need to please him. <laughs> I got to stuck up to death. And he oh. picked up his guitar and he wrote <laughs> a book while strumming. 
a great ballad. Dad, I, I, I wrote a ballad about you. Would you like to hear it? No. Oh, okay. I'll just write it in a book then. <laughs> Don't be a damn musician. You remind me of that time I was walking to Leeds with a rucksack on my shoulder. That's your future. If you don't put down that guitar, pick up a pen. So, Edward Baines has made it to the offices of the Leeds Mercury. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll find out about his life as a newsman. But more importantly, you're going to hear the greatest name of all time. I can't overstate it. When you hear it, you'll never forget it. You're going to use it to name your pets. Maybe you're going to use it to name your kids. We'll be right back after this brief but necessary break. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. So, Edward Baines has gotten a job... Let's find out about his ascension in society to become beloved by many and hated by many others. Let's keep reading Chapter 12 with Lisa Brooke. Edward Baines had now reached man's estate, and his character was assuming the mold which it ever after retained. Point Baines. Being received into the Leeds Mercury office, his industry, good conduct, and obliging disposition won the esteem and confidence of his employers. His tastes were simple. His habits, strictly temperate, i.e. not drinking the booze. Right. And his companionships, virtuous. <laughs> oh. With the context, it feels like Edward Baines Jr. is protesting a bit too much. What was the word? His companionships? Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Right. Just getting that S on the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where's father, mummy? He's out being virtuous. With another companion. <laughs> he sought the society of intellectual men in a reasoning society like that to which he had belonged in Preston. Okay, the reasoning society. Here's a little fun sidetrack. He formed another little debating group. It was a philosophical group Baines and his friends assembled for discussing literary and moral issues. Book club. Um, mm -hmm. The aim was to meet weekly and to discuss any issue that was not political, religious, or commercial. That's wise. And it would be good today. It's just like, God, get off the politics talk sometimes, right? Yeah, let's talk about what's this thing happening to my toe. Everybody have a look down there. Mm -hmm. Is that a fungus or is my nail dead? Those are the kind of things that would come up. Yeah, let's use our powers of reasoning to figure it yeah. out. Unfortunately, due to regular food shortages and the ongoing revolutionary wars happening with France, there was a fear of revolution in the air in Leeds and due in part to Thomas Paine's The Age of Reason coming out around the same time, a reasoning society sounded a lot like radicalism. So Edward Baines became suspected of being a revolutionary. 
Ah, yes. Because he had a newspaper. So. That's right. He didn't own it yet, but he was introducing editorials into the newspaper, which were anti-war. He was starting to become suspected as being a revolutionary, so much so that the mayor of Leeds himself, Whittle Sheepshanks, demanded an explanation of the society. Hold on. Hold on. I think we fit that name. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> Can you say it again, please? I sure can. And I will say it as many times as you want to hear it. Whittle Sheepshanks. (laughs) First name Whittle. Yes. Last name Sheepshanks. Sheepshanks. W-H-I-T-T-E-L. Whittle. Whittle Sheepshanks. His parents must have just hated him. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, he changed his last name to York, and I don't know why. Whittle York. Yeah, who knows? So did I tell the story just so I could say the name Whittle Sheepshanks? Yes, I did. Whittle Sheepshanks was the mayor of Leeds in 1795 and 1815. Now say February Whittle Sheepshanks. February Whittle Sheepshanks. (laughs) Yep. Perfect. <laughs> Who's my widow sheep shanks? Who's my tiny widow sheep shanks? That's oh, how man. his mom talked to him all the time. Who's the widow sheep shanks? What if like later on his mom was like, no, your your name is Jason. We just said, who's my widow sheep shanks? <laughs> Stop calling yourself that. It doesn't sound good anymore. In 1801. Mr. Baines became proprietor and editor of the Leeds Mercury. So a third newspaper was being started up in the city of Leeds, one that would counter the Tory bent of the Leeds Intelligencer, the Mercury's rival. This group that wanted to start the third paper came to Baines and offered him the job of running it. Baines would have said yes, but John Binns, the former owner of the Mercury, had died five years before. His widow offered to just sell the Mercury to Baines so that he would only have to compete with one other paper instead of two other papers. So she was like, just take the paper. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Just get it. So he becomes proprietor and editor of the Leeds Mercury. Not an old man when he became in charge of his newspaper. 27 years old, he's running his own newspaper. He's a regular Hearst. Yeah. At that period, like other provincial papers, the Mercury was insignificant both in dimensions and in influence. I like in dimensions, like they're insignificantly sized. More like a pamphlet than a newspaper. But <laughs> before his death, it had become one of the most powerful organs in the English provincial press. In 1801, a single copy contained about 21,000 words. In 1848, a single copy contained 180,000. Wow. More importantly, the paper went from a circulation of between 700 and 800 copies in 1801 to between nine and 10,000 copies in the 1840s. Wow. Yeah, with an estimated readership of 150,000 people, which is, back then, a lot. Baines starts publishing content that not only appeals to the growing middle class, printing agricultural and commercial reports, shipping news, but also editorializing and reporting political news, he was able to inform more people of the state of politics in their community than the kind of establishment newspaper had been doing up until then. 
So in essence, he sounds like he became an agitator. Yeah. And little... that's interesting because at that time, he's like one of the privileged class. He's joining a privileged class, but he's probably saying things the establishment didn't want to say, like we shouldn't be fighting this war, slavery shouldn't be happening. And the most contentious issue, surprisingly, when you put slavery in that group, was the idea of parliamentary reform and expanding the right to vote to more people in England. So he was really about expanding the vote, expanding the reach, like really empowering people. Yeah. Basically, he was a shit disturber. Yeah. Here we go. I'm liking him more. From the date of his connection with the Mercury as its proprietor, Mr. Baines was a public man and took an active, earnest, and prominent part in the political and social questions of the day. As mentioned, pro-parliamentary reform, anti-slavery, anti-war. More people should be able to vote. We shouldn't have slaves. And we Mm -hmm. got to change this government because it's not working for everybody. Nine and 30 years... After Edward Baines had entered Leeds, a poor apprentice in search of employment, he was invited by his fellow townsmen to represent them in the Senate of the nation. And when he left Leeds to take his seat in the House of Commons, he had the honor of a popular demonstration. So he not only was running a newspaper, he became the MP for Leeds. Wow. It's a happy news story that Mm -hmm. that he would be able to publish in his own newspaper. That's true. Yeah. And also campaign for himself in his own newspaper, presumably. He won a by-election in February 1834. Again, this was Tory territory. and You just need to say territory. Yeah. And really lean on the Tory part. This is territory. Tory. He ran as a Whig which was a uh-huh. precursor to the liberals yeah. in, uh, in England. He was a Whig liberal and won only by 34 votes. Wow. Was there a recount? There was not a recount. At this point, parliamentary reform had been enacted. And I think that the expansion of the franchise to the middle and working class is essentially what allowed him to beat a Tory in this riding of Leeds. Wow. Okay. So prior to the parliamentary reform, you're saying a great number of people who might have voted for him weren't able to vote for him. So when the parliamentary reform came about and began, the voting franchise was extended to people who couldn't previously vote. And so he came in by 34 votes. Yep. That's a drama. The Reform Act gave the voting franchise to anyone who owned land worth 10 pounds or more. Huh. Interesting. And did that extend to women? Lisa. Yeah, please. I didn't think so. There were some women who just owned property on their own base. I think we're talking about cottagers, yes. though, are we not? Cottagers. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Where am I? What am I thinking? <laughs> Okay, so he goes and becomes an MP. And I believe his son, Edward Baines Jr., is running the paper at this point. At three successive elections, Mr. Baines was returned to Parliament as member for Leeds. And for eight years, he devoted his untiring energies to the discharge of his public functions, his integrity and conscientiousness, constraining the esteem even of those who differed most from some of his opinions. The evidence seems to say that he was indeed a good parliamentarian. Took careful notes, went to meetings, you know. Showed Um, up. Yeah, showed up. He lived to be 75 years of age. 
And when he died with an honorable oblivion of party distinctions, I don't understand that sentence. Honorable oblivion. Okay. The inhabitants of Leeds lamented Mr. Baines as a good man and a public benefactor and vast numbers almost as a father. By a spontaneous movement, his funeral was made a public one. Many thousands thronged to witness the solemn ceremony, and among the many sincere mourners, few were more truly so than the poorest of the poor who joined their tears with those of his family and felt that they had lost a father and a friend. The end. Wow. His son really, really, really painted a beautiful picture of this guy. Any misdeeds, forgiven, forgotten, Mm -hmm. not written down. Edward Jr. knocked it out of the park with this one. He really did. It was beautiful. I fell asleep three times to that beautiful ending in my mind. (laughs) So what can we review about Edward Baines? Great, smart businessman and newsman. Had a penchant for causing shit at an early age that sort of gave birth to a dissenting attitude in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he rode that horse till the end, sounds like. Paper became the most influential provincial newspaper in England, meaning anything outside of London, this was the most influential paper. Hmm. Helped give a voice to the religiously oppressed, helped shape public opinion in England. And this is all not to say that he was not burned in effigy a couple of times. He was burned in effigy a couple of times? Yes, he was. Yes. Here's why. The first time was because of his refusal to support factory reform. Remember Richard Oster? Yeah. Yeah. So Richard Oster, they used to be friends. Richard Oster became aware of the treatments of adults and children in the factories of Leeds and wrote a scathing letter which compared it to slavery and handed it over to Edward Baines to publish in the newspaper. It became one of the most famous letters of its time. It created a large movement to try and reform factories. Baines published the letter, but was super worried because on one hand, he sympathized with the cause and agreed that reform needed to happen. But on the other hand, His readers were the factory owners and the businessmen who made up the community, and he did not want to lose their support or their readership. So he would continually tone down the letters and say, look, it's not that bad. I'm sure the factory owners' hearts are in the right place, things like that. Mm. And Richard Oster became furious and took his future letters and editorials to Baines's arch rival, the Leeds Intelligencer, and started printing them there. A feud was forming. There were public meetings, which Baines and his son, Baines Jr., attended. And when they reported on the meetings in the Mercury, they would report in negative ways. They would depict scenes of drunkenness. And that led the pro-factory reform contingent to parade an effigy of Baines around and burn him in front of the offices of the Leeds Mercury. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's demoralizing to have your, not that I've ever experienced it, but I would imagine that it's probably pretty demoralizing to have people burn 
what is supposed to be a representation of your body yeah, in front your of your windows. Baines was in the office at the time watching from the second floor or whatever. It's just like, oh man, they're burning me. <laughs> I'm um, not going to leave through the front door. <laughs> and so I guess things at some point must have become so heated that that's when Richard Oster started printing stories in his letters of Baines as a young man in Preston fathering a child. Well, here's the thing for people in the news game. That's fair game because it's news. Mm-hmm. You know, you live by the news, you die by the news. The second time he was burned in effigy was when Baines came out in support of the Poor Law Amendment Act, which does not fit the rest of his political ideals. I don't know why he came out in favor of this. It was a new law which, in a very Republican way, made it harder for poor people to receive aid and reduce the amount of money the state had to spend helping the poor. You could only get aid if you worked in a workhouse for the poor, but the conditions of those workhouses would be made so horrible that only those who really needed it would ever go there. Uh, it was basically would... that whole bootstraps philosophy of yeah. you better work for the help you get, but we're also going to pull funding from these institutions, which are supposed to give you work. It was generally viewed as uh, a pretty cruel practice that didn't end up saving the state any money or helping any poor people. Baines was- I wonder if there was some self-interest in there that personally affected his future. My best guess is that as a man who walked from Preston to Leeds with nothing but the clothes on his back, and because he picked himself up by his bootstraps, that means anybody could. And, you know, going by the prevailing wisdom of the day, all you had to do was show the habits of a successful human being, and you too right. can become as successful as me. Got so it. It was like the tough medicine. That's my personal take. I'm not a scholar. I don't know. Hmm. What was the year that that law? That would have been 1834. 1834. And it's uh, so out of character with everything else that he did. Yeah. This time his effigy was paraded through the streets on a donkey and was finally terminated with a ceremonial shooting. No! The donkey! No! <laughs> well, I don't think they shot the donkey. I hope they didn't shoot the donkey. Well, I but, mean... But he was on a donkey. <sighs> I really hope that donkey was okay. I hope so too. It probably got I mean, spooked to say the least. Yeah. It reminds me of the time that somebody shot over a lady's head. I can't think of who it was, but mm -hmm. yeah. But that donkey peed its dress. hundred <laughs> percent. Hope it was a long dress. Yeah. The mercury, the Leeds mercury ended up staying in the Baines family for a hundred years. It was run by Edward Baines jr. After his father, uh, eventually, it was sold to someone else who, in turn, sold it to the conservative newspaper company, owners of the Yorkshire Post, the daily version of Baines's arch rival, the Leeds Intelligencer. The Mercury went out of business shortly after that, or at least out of circulation as it was absorbed into this other newspaper. I see. And uh, in terms of Baines's legacy, like I said, hard to find information on him on the internet. He has a statue behind Town Hall in Leeds. His tombstone just says member of parliament for three terms and historians confuse him with his son so much that even this book has a picture of his son and not <laughs> of him. 
<laughs> Perfect. Well, mm. Edward Baines, out of mundanery has come the story of, uh, of success. Uh, I wish I could say inspiration, but there's literally nothing that's inspiring about his story for me at all. <laughs> I'm still mad on that woman's behalf, and now I'm mad for a donkey. Bates, were you inspired by anything? Like, is there anything you want to say, or what would you have put on his tombstone? Burned an effigy twice. Like, <laughs> who who can say that? How many of us can say they've been burned in effigy twice? Here lies Edward Baines. How many of us can say they were burned in effigy twice? <laughs> Bitch! Question mark. Exclamation mark. Drop the trowel that you're using to engrave that cement. Trowel drop. Trowel drop. The boy inside the man. The boy inside the man. I want to thank Lisa Brooke for joining me on the podcast. Check out her podcast, which she records with her comedy partner, Shoshana Sperling, Lisa and Shoshana HQ. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. It's really funny. And if you're looking for some resilience in navigating these difficult and uncertain times it is a great one to listen to that's it that's it for now season one is complete good news though if you enjoy this podcast there are a lot of chapters in this book we will be back with season two in a few months for more men and more deeds until then stay safe be kind on behalf of lisa brooke and Mayor Whittle Sheepshanks. See you soon. The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds is produced and recorded in Toronto. It's part of the Sonar Network. Go to thesonarnetwork.com and check out the many funny and thoughtful podcasts offered there. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a review. It goes a long way towards helping this show find its audience. You can subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. Follow the podcast online at Famous Deeds on Twitter and at Famous.Deeds on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. If you want to get in touch, whether to ask questions, correct my work, lodge a complaint, or just say hi, I want to hear from you shoot an email to famousdeeds at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the work I put into researching and producing this podcast, why not buy me a coffee? You can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. It's an easy way to support creators all over the internet. Until next time, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.